Hey y'all, welcome to Adventures with Aggie. Today we have with us Armani Cotton. Armani is from New York. He's a Yale basketball alum and has played basketball for many teams in Europe, including teams in Belgium, Germany, and he's currently playing for Amarid Baskets in Norway. He's also the owner of Dosa Sports, and he's going to give us a little bit more insight into what Dosa does. On that note, please welcome Armani Cotton. How are you doing, Armani? <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, all things considered, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm actually in, in Oslo right now, Oslo, Norway. So um, I'm definitely feeling a bit of survivor's remorse just because my, uh, I guess, my, my, from my march to now has definitely been like lived from the outside looking in. And uh, they've, they've reopened a little bit quicker than other neighboring European countries, definitely quicker than the States and New York, especially where I'm from. So uh, it almost feels wrong to say like physically health, health-wise I'm doing well, but yeah, just uh, I guess <laughs> trying to keep on keeping on. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's awesome to hear you're in Norway and yeah, New York is, it's, it's a little rough, but I'm excited. I think they've done a really good job with opening up and stuff. So we'll see. Hopefully yeah. things get back to normal soon. Um, so just to get started, can you, I want to start like at the beginning of your basketball story. So can you share like some of your earliest memories playing basketball? <laughs> yeah, that's a broad, my early, my earliest memories playing basketball. Um, honestly, I think, uh, more of it's been told to me than what I can like honestly remember. I think the only first person shot that I have in my, my memory pool from a child is a, a one that I took backwards out of absolute fear and anxiety <laughs> just like tossing the ball above my head uh from hearing a coach yell shoot um when I was playing at Carmine which is like it's like youth sports club PAL uh, near West 4th Street in New York yeah. City so um yeah that's like a very burned in memory and it, and it went in and I think that was like uh I think it's a nice little metaphor for like how basketball can go um but you know that actually sparked confidence just having like the the skill and luck of being able to hit a backward shot. But uh, yeah, that's probably my early one. But I think my family would say like, it was my first toy. So I've been dribbling around the LES Lower East Side where I'm, I'm born and raised uh, pretty much all my life. I was born in Brooklyn, but from the from the time I was there to moving to the, the Lower East Side, yeah, it's just, it's always been the consistent thing that stuck with me. That's awesome. Wait, Knicks or Nets? Knicks and off. Uh, I mean, as long as it stays in New York, I'm happy. But the Nets aren't from New York, so like, let's not get it twisted. They're they're very much a, a 2000 and up baby team. But I mean, that said, I have a lot of relationships with the the Brooklyn organization, so I'm not you know no shade towards them. But uh, <laughs> shoot, if they win, I'm happy. I'm happy. But uh, I think if I can push come to shove, I'm I'm gonna try and stay loyal. You know, ten toes down. So if the Knicks win before them, I'd be ecstatic just for just for New York because. You know, we're, we're hard to please. Yes, for sure, for sure. Knicks fans are rowdy, but it makes it fun. Yeah. <laughs> rowdy. I've never – I like that. Yeah, we are rowdy. Shoot, where are you from? I've never heard that. Rowdy. I'm not at least on the wild. <laughs> I'm from Alabama, so rowdy, that's oh, pretty so common yeah, word. Oh, yeah, that's – dang, bro. <laughs> rowdy. Yeah, I might, have to, I might have to bring that to the East Coast. Oh, do yeah, it, do rowdy. it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, great. So can you – I, I just wanted you to talk about, like, how did you find basketball to be your sport? Like, in the U.S., it's super common for kids to play a lot of sports when they're growing up. And just how did that become, like, integrated into your life? Um, my, my family is my, – my mother is originally from Panama. 
She was born and raised in Panama. I came over here when she was like 12 or 13. And my, my father's from Nicaragua. Um, but he, he spent, I think he came here consistently by the time he was 11 or 12. So like they had pretty early, similar entry points into America and the culture. But my, my dad's father is the only one who was American, I guess, in my, my um, family tree. Um, but I can't say that that necessarily made him more influenced by American culture because his father wasn't around as consistently. But um, apparently my, my dad is the one who was very much like into basketball, like consistently watching games. Um, so, I, you know, one can say that maybe there was some original influence there. But I, for, for me, at least my relationship to basketball seems like in spite of everything else, uh, it prevailed because I mean, like I'm, I am, and was, and continue to be absolutely like obsessed with the game. It brings me like a very uh, a, a unique joy, one that isn't you know based on anything external. I can really honestly say it's just something that makes me very, very happy. Uh, and I, I've definitely made great sacrifice just to make sure that that stays in my life. So. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's a bit innate. I, I could say like, yeah, you know, I'm from New York, so there's a block, there's a hoop on every corner, but I, there's something in me that makes it feel as if like I was from, you know, another whole worldly land that this idea of like putting a leather ball through a hoop would just like fascinate <laughs> me. It's just, it just, it just makes me really, really happy. Um, yeah, I guess that's probably the easiest way to put it. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I know it, lots of people just do it because they're good at it or do it because they can, but it makes it so much better when you're super passionate about it and super into it. Yeah. I just, I just love basketball. It's a privilege. I'm six, seven. It's a good fortune, <laughs> but I think, uh, I think that was just like, uh, yeah. Wow. It would be really, it would, it would be really like a cruel act to put this amount of like basketball love in me and, and make me under six feet tall. I think that's, that's, that's my thinking. It just, <laughs> it just worked out that way. Yeah. It certainly helps. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No disrespect to those who are getting it done under six feet. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, cool. So I want to talk about a little bit of your experience. Um, can you tell us like why Yale and what the student athlete experience is like? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so um, I, Yale was one of eight schools that my uh, very intelligent, very, you know, uh, I would almost want to say like a Nostradamus type of a mother was able to identify as fitting, but also appropriate given my like irregularly intensive, like academic upbringing uh, coming from New York City. She pretty much made it pretty plain and simple from the time I was 14. It was like, hey, buddy, I know you love this little basketball thing. It's wonderful. You know, I'm full support of it. But there's about eight schools you're going to be able to go to all the Ivies, Stanford and Duke. So I was like, got you. <laughs> and uh, with that very little wiggle room, um, one can only do so much. So, <laughs> you know, I did everything I could to crack, crack that, uh, you know, top top 50 list in the ESPN national poll. Um, but, you know, in short of that, if you're not on that radar, uh, I think uh, getting a due scholarship by 17, 18, uh, and Stanford was tough. So I, I remember... I remember, uh, yeah, just like really not understanding how I was going to reconcile this difference in myself where it's like, yeah, I really do enjoy academics, but best believe like 
push comes to shove, I'm playing basketball. Like, you know, I really, you know, I remember, I think my sophomore year, um, yeah, it was my sophomore year of high school. I, I broke my wrist and uh, I was devastated, um, but I still figured like, okay, I can salvage some part of the summer to, to continue AAU, which is like so critical to exposure, um, even though it wasn't like the year you start choosing or at least getting recruited heavily come junior year, at least back, back at that time. Right. And uh, my mom uh, was very clear and it's like, okay, well, this is a perfect opportunity to bolster your, your academic resume. And uh, I was a constituent liaison at the Senator's office for Senator Clinton yeah. for like the entirety of the year. And I just remember like feeling like this real inner divide between like, man, like this is kind of fun, but I'm a hooper. So I was like always trying to like uh, deal with these like competing identities. Um, uh, and, you know, I think in, in, in maturity, I recognize it's not a conflict. It's more of like a, a synergy. But I think that kind of reflects why Yale became such an appropriate choice, because in that process, I was I was offered by by all the Ivies. But I remember at Yale, uh, I got a really tribute to my, my host, Isaiah Salafia, who unfortunately didn't finish like his full career there with me um, on the basketball team. But this dude was tatted. He was so cool. I was like, damn, bro. Like he was from Connecticut at that too. And, you know, as a New York dude, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be the waviest dude on campus, but he had a real style about him, but he was really like, he was, I mean, I don't throw genius around lightly, but genius in the sense of like, it didn't seem like there was any uh, traditional learning that took place in his early years, but he just kind of got things. It was just very simple. Like he, this man would recite an entire Wiz Khalifa mixtape, which was a big thing for us back then, <laughs> you know? And then he'd be like, yeah, yeah. And then he'll just quickly like pen together an algorithm on a piece of napkin. He's like, oh yeah, that was what I had to do. Like, he's just thinking like two different channels going on at the same time. I'm like, bro, it's different. And then I saw him catch an alley-oop like off the backboard. Mind you, he's like 6'3". I was like, okay, this is the most diverse man I've ever met in my life. If he can do that, that's what I'm trying to get, you know, done with my life. Because it just felt like, wow, I can really realize every quality that I have within me. Um, and it didn't seem like there was any ceiling. And that's really all I, that's really all I think I've, I've wanted, you know, in my, my career. So long, long story short, I think that kind of, Somewhere I was like, okay, this is, seems an appropriate place. Harvard, no knock to them. It just seemed like that, but you had to also take someone else down to get what you wanted. And for me, like making the choice between two, it just felt like that, like it seemed effortless. So, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome that he had such a big impact on you too. That's a really great yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I'm my family. My mom was like, yo. Yeah. That's like my, uh, that's the, that's my son-in-law. <laughs> he is straight, straight up trying to adopt this man. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Um, great. So I want to ask, like, was there, um, like, I guess what point in your time at Yale did you realize that going to Europe was what you wanted to do next? Uh, it wasn't what I wanted to do next. I wanted to okay. play in the NBA. Like yeah. every, every Hooper coming out of college. Um, but it was more of like the the process going into it and that yeah. that is a, a, a pretty of a lengthy one so i'll kind of just go by bullet points um sure. and i could speak pretty transparently to like my college career which was like you know highlighted by oh my god like this kid is six seven can shoot like and put it on the floor you know, i remember my sophomore year going for 20 
points and total rebounds against Holy Cross after missing like practice because I got on a train that literally broke down like it made the news because I was coming from New York to Connecticut and I was just so mortified because I was just playing pretty well enough and I was in the starting lineup uh, my sophomore year after like seeing no time my freshman year and uh and you know, I felt like I just had momentum like oh there it is like you know I guess I just lost my starting spot and naturally I did the next game but I came off the bench after uh, a freshman had you know started for me as punishment and uh maybe it was a combination of just like feeling you know so wildly insecure about the situation like oh man I don't have like a solidified spot but like in 20 minutes I had 20 points and 12 rebounds and I didn't miss a shot like easily like yeah just one of those types of games um and it was the game before and we won and it was a game before we played Florida uh at Yale on CBS so you know how they do like a little player highlight like it was like it couldn't (laughs) have been a better time to like go off (laughs) just like oh yeah so we got you know a young a promising young six seven guard sophomore so I just remember the like camera on me in warm-ups on the CBS game like oh shit mom I did it I'm going to the league I'm leaving after this year uh and uh yeah yeah I mean actually and I'm like to start off the game like I had an N1 and I just remember the feeling of all these things and I think when I look back on my career uh, in college like having moments like that and then yeah junior year I also had moments but like these like kind of peaks and then uh the valleys of like really really underperforming um I think uh ironically enough in the process of going to Europe right out of college I signed to a bigger agency because there was a desire to peak right and even signing with a bigger agency it was like hey like these are my peers like yeah uh I remember I could say, uh, who was it? PJ Tucker, who's with the Rockets now. He was with that yeah. kind of agency. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm signed with that. I won't, you know, I somehow like that. But, uh, uh, <laughs> and I, I felt, I felt like, uh, yeah, like, okay. Like I'm, I'm one step there. And then I got a workout. Uh, I got, I was working out at Temple university and, um, uh, Aaron McKee, who's like the head coach there, former 76er was in the gym and, I guess saw me and kind of gave the heads up to the Sixers like hey like there's a kid there he's like really doing well I think I just had a really good pickup did not know he was there um uh, and then yeah they reached out to my agent and said hey you got to work out I remember them picking me up in the SUV that day like I remember going to the hotel where we stayed the night before and just being like oh my god like having the similar feelings uh and when I got to the like you know arena for the workout it's literally a complete blackout. I was like so uncomfortably nervous. Like <laughs> there's a dude from UNC, there's another dude from Kentucky. And I think it's like, you know, as the Yale guy, they're like, oh, so, you know, he's supposed to be the smart one. I was walking around with like a chicken with my head cut off. Like, she'd be like, what? Oh, we're going over there. And they're all like, yo, I thought you were supposed to be the smart guy. I was like, fuck, no, bro. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, so, so to say, you know, that being like the early entry into the process, but it's so revealing now in, in light of my, my my two to three year European career because uh, it just offers so much perspective in terms of like the professional journey, especially in Europe where while you're with the team and you have a staff, I think there's an element of more independence and in that, right, you're in a different time zone even than you right now. And um, there's just certain resources that you might be a little accustomed to. And I realized like how much of my my development from zero to 21 when I graduated was uh, accompanied by someone or a familiar institution 
and playing in Europe, there's that element of like, okay, no, your institution is you, right? Like your TA that you want to chat in. It's like, hey, I'm feeling a little uneasy about how things are going. Like, that's you. So I, I really appreciate the, those lessons that Europe has offered me. And I like that, you know, that MBA look was like a precursor to that because it, it, makes, it, it makes so much more sense now in retrospect, uh, especially as I continue my career. So that's kind of the jump from there. After that, I went to Belgium top league, uh, which was a lot of fun and stuff. And then I played in Germany and then I had a year break uh, with some health stuff. And now I just finished my last season in uh, Norway. That's incredible. You've done, you've done a lot. You've played a bunch of different places. Um, I wanted to ask just about like, how was the transition moving from the U S to Belgium and like what kind of differences did you face? Was it, were you nervous? Like, how did you feel going into that? Yeah, uh, I was excited. That was like an example of a peak, you know, just to be able yeah. to sign, um, especially in such a competitive league where like a lot of former NBA players or players who've used that as a transition to get back to the league, which, you know, mind you, was always like the ambition, whether it be like EuroLeague or the NBA. Like, I just, it's a really nice compass to have because it's, you know, it's always there. And uh, I, I recognize in, in that opportunity that it was continuing to be one step closer to be on the, on the radar. But I don't think the Belgium living in a, you know, a different country was like as much of the culture shock as what I was, you know, kind of speaking to before, which is the, all right, who do I necessarily, who do I go to, you know, in the moments of stress and uh, my girlfriend was there with me at the time, but I think we were both kind of going through the culture shock of like, we got an apartment, I got a car, like, I have like response, you know what I mean? Just like even like stuff as simple as like my phone bill. I was just like, what? Like I'm paying, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it was just a, you know, like I was an adult. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was uh, cause really it's, it's such a, that's, that's been more so, you know, the, the culture shock, the culture of having uh, resources. And I know I'm privileged in even having that to begin with as being a D1 athlete you know, those are certain things that kind of come with it. But uh, I can definitely recognize there's an element of coddling, even cooking. Oh, my God. That and laundry, <laughs> that was like a – and I had a moment. I called my friend up saying, hey, man, I didn't realize this, but I've been given lunch my entire life until now. Like, I've literally had lunch <laughs> provided for me my entire life, like all through school. And then college, it's no different. And I'm just like – I really was like, well, where's – I know it's supposed to come. And I'm like, yo, that's me. Like, I got to get that done, which is, uh, yeah, absurd. But these are the, yeah, revelations I was having at uh, 21, 22. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. The second I was off my meal plan, I was like, all right, got to figure something all out. Right. <laughs> listen, listen, that's some privileged stuff because I know there's plenty of live <laughs> off campus, making my own meals and more power to you because honestly, you're stronger for it. Because it's a rude awakening when people are out here making struggle sandwiches, like <laughs> trying to, yeah, 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 yeah. Thankfully, one of us in the household could cook, but it was, she was not pleased with having to <laughs> teach what was a grown man. It's like, yo, this is how this is how we're gonna make salmon, okay? Yeah, all the things I like requiring like skill. So <laughs> that's funny. Cool. Um, so I wanted to touch on your time at the um, Paderborn Baskets. What was it like playing in the Pro-A German League? I know that basketball in Germany is super competitive. So what was that experience like for you? Yeah, uh, Germany was, uh, was uh, a lot of fun too. Uh, I think compared, you know, Bel Belgium, top league Belgium, especially the year I played, 
arguably would be a higher, yeah, is a higher league, but Germany in terms of like, you know, the brand and the country itself is obviously being super competitive. Um, I was like anticipating like even more intense practices and, and training, um, uh, which is like, you know, kind of like a, my, my style of play. But uh, surprisingly, we had a very like Zen German uh, coach, which was kind of nice, I think, just in terms of my maturity to where I'm at now, where I'm feeling very confident about my game. But he was just like the least uh, hypercritical person ever. My first coach was Serbian. So this dude was having like, you know, uh, very typical Serbian coach mood swings from like, you know, if we play well, like, good, let's go. Slapping guys in faces as like a happy moment. So <laughs> Lord knows what he was doing when like, yeah, when we were losing, like I'd seen some things in my, my time in, uh, in Belgium and Brussels. So um, yeah, just that, that transition in and of itself was like really nice to have. But uh, Ger- Germany was fire. Like we're very close to Berlin as well at least not too far away. And I have a friend uh, who's been living there for like three years who, you know, I hadn't had a chance to consistently see, but he saw my first like professional game uh, in Belgium when my family even flew out. Um, So like, it was nice to be able to connect with him. But uh, Germany, I think, and you know, when I look back when it's all said and done, I think that'll be the most, one of the most impactful moments just because I, I think I was in a transitionary period in my game where I started recognizing uh, because I was dealing with like some health stuff, how much the mind uh, influences play and how much more your skill can kind of, you know, reveal itself um, with, it's almost like uh, a paradox, but like less effort, you know, in college, I think we're kind of all taught like, you'll grind it out, go hard. You got to, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think uh, we, we place, um, we place process, right? The process of, yo, did you put, how many hours did you study? Oh, six hours. Oh shit. I only studied four. Like we put process over production, which is like, I did it for 30 minutes and I still did well, you know? And yeah. it's almost like, oh, well that guy's just talent. Like whatever they did within those 30 minutes to, you know, create that outcome is the skill in itself. And I think that my my time in Germany really, because I had to uh, be a little bit more creative with how much time I put on the court for impact for my body like it was just like whoa like okay i get this is what you know the athletes that i've idolized it's not those nike commercials they actually are going about it a different way because man can't go from three to four a.m of sleep and then carry out through the day Uh, that's just a lot so the sneaker that i like so yeah yeah that's awesome that's so cool i was gonna ask about your coaches next but you kind of touched on oh, yeah. that that's a really yeah. unique experience <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 uh we didn't touch on that but like i think if you're if you're if you're not you know on people like that there must be an element of perhaps uh there's some own navigation that's going on between each individual when i think right. you're a little bit like uh uh, overbearing not overbearing but rather like more instructional right there's some people who talk a lot like I think I talk a lot but in the sense of like instruction uh, then it's uh, okay you're trying to align their actions and beliefs exactly with yours but when you allow for space then there's some space for creativity both on the court as well as like thought you know yeah. you say one thing and allow for space and pause then you might have several different you know narratives playing in your players minds but in that there can maybe be more cohesiveness because 
uh, they get to kind of come to the decision on their own um, instead right. of just like, yo, this is what it is. Definitely. Yeah. But I appreciate both looking back. Yeah. I need the Serbian guy. <laughs> <laughs> need the balance. Oh. But awesome. Um, so last couple things, and then we'll see if anybody else has any questions. But um, how has your time at Amrit been? And um, can you kind of tell us like about the differences, I guess, playing basketball in the U.S. and Europe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I honestly don't have too, too much to say about the experience. Uh, I'm gonna, I think, uh, like I said, coming from like some health stuff, which I've now like, I'm in the best shape and, and health that I've been in a long time, like mentally as well as physically. Uh, this year was very much more uh, about me than necessarily the club, which, you know, I'm thankful of for, for getting it done, especially on such short notice. Um, but I think a lot of it hinged on the fact that I have had a, a more competitive resume. Uh, Norway, you know, is at least in comparison to Germany and like Belgium, not as competitive. And they have they rely heavily on their imports, like you know the Americans that they fly out. They just can't afford as many, typically. Um, but in that, I I've appreciated the the like new perspective of being the person who's relied on. Um, and I think in Europe, that tends to be for like lower level uh, Europeans, like lower level league European, no, sorry, lower level uh, league, like American imports who are coming in. Um, they might be in a, okay, you're the only American, right? So you got to get 40 a night, right? And maybe some guys haven't been that dude uh, since high school where like they're like, you know, a big, big fish in a small pond. And then they join like the division one ranks where like now it's a little bit more competitive. The, the playing skill is a little bit more uh, consistent uh, and kind of going back to what feels like, wow, okay. Like we don't win if I don't put up uh, absurd uh, numbers as I'm going against the other best player on the other team. Even if they have a handful more, we, we lost one of the imports on our team like pretty early. That was like kind of fun to re-tap into like that nerve which I never really had in high school. I just think like talent allowed me to be that guy, but like mentally I for sure was not like particularly comfortable with being like that dude, because if I failed, it was like my world ended, couldn't really function that whole week. Um, but, and now it's just been like a, it's been really fun. It's been really fun to like, yeah, just like have everyone like, you know, relying on me, um, like each shot like is weighted you know, the criticism is like, has a little bit more venom in it because it's like, it really is all on you. Uh, I don't know, I'm just like in a place where like that, that's really fun. And I can't wait to get back to that in places like Germany and, and Belgium because that's the whole point of the game. And I think in light of everything that's going on too, uh, as an athlete, if we can't put failure, micro failure uh, or success in its proper framework in the context of like the world, then, you know, you might have some real, you know, confident struggles because like it means so, so little in light of what's actually going on. So a missed shot, let alone a lost game is like, okay. Like, you know, so uh, I think that's kind of what separates those who kind of make a, a lot of success quicker because they don't dwell on the highs or the lows. It's just like, you know, very constant. So I, I appreciate that. What, the European experience in, in terms of basketball is afforded in terms of no help, uh, just you figuring that out. And then America, 
is America, but uh, I'm from New York. So <laughs> I like to think yeah. that that helped me, that helped me kind of get to where I'm at now. Definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. You have some really great experience and I'm really excited for you. Um, but <laughs> last thing I wanted to ask about is, um, can you kind of just talk about what Dose of Sports is and how this came about? For sure. Um, so, so Dose of Sports stands for Division One Student Athletes. And uh, it's actually something that um, I founded uh, as, a, as an incoming freshman at Yale University. So uh, I guess I was like 17, 18. Uh, bringing mom back into this. She made it very clear that uh, in terms of, um, you know, some additional pocket money, that would have to be something I, I, I kind of created for myself as an on-campus job. And uh, I guess pitching back to like the whole inner conflict of like, you know, academia and then sport, in my mind, it's just like those two really couldn't exist functionally in terms of like how much time I was going to de dedicate on campus to my goal which was to, you know, play professional basketball, play, play in the NBA. I was like, there's no way I'm going to, like, be working at a desk uh, and, you know, juggling schoolwork and playing basketball. Um, so uh, prior to going to school, I was just like, you know, I feel like I've navigated this student-athlete journey successfully, right? Because at the time when I committed and it was, like, in the New York Post, everyone was, like, dapping me up. And I felt like, okay, like, I did it. I did the thing that was really supposed to be difficult to be done. And it felt like a, a real like checkpoint. Um, yet in the process of now the next one, the professional, I felt it was a bit odd that I was still relying on the same instructors and people uh, uh, for, for advice on how to like navigate this process when I felt like, okay, like if anyone can be looked to in this process, it should be me. You know, I've, I've had to actually practice in real time the current expectations and demands of the game um, you know, and, and who better than me or my peers rather, uh, to help other young student athletes navigate the same process. Uh, and in light of that, I also felt that there is an element of like, okay, we have this great large industry of like, you know, instructional skill development that seems to not have those who are actively involved in it, you know, be a part of the process. So like, there was a lot of things going in my mind, so, but that more or less is what inspired me to kind of create this program where, I felt, okay, I have this network of student athletes who I've known from competing, you know, across the country. And now we've kind of made it to the point. So why can't we have a, our own skill, skill development program in New York City, where I was from, and, and pretty much give access to the athletes who want to be us, right, with very little degrees of separation. And I realized it hadn't been done because obviously the NCAA has strict guidelines against athletes profiting from their likeness, but I wasn't currently enrolled at the time. So... I reached out to the NCAA and Ivy League conference and petitioned to start uh, a sole proprietorship because that's the only time I had for it. And they're like, okay, technically you can't do this. And basically I corralled like every friend of mine who had committed to the Ivy League and had Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Brown. Uh, yeah, I think that was, yeah, me six of them. Uh, uh, yeah, for that first camp, and it just went nuts because like parents were like, "What? Like, how did? How could we possibly? Like, I didn't. I thought we had to get the coach who worked out those same kids who you know made it there, right? It's like, no, you can actually get us those who are like you know kind of meeting those demands, and that kind of planted the seed for what's now kind of become Abdosa, where we've done it consistently every summer, but I think from a bit of a um, 
uh, a, a miniature version of it just because I was a current athlete and I couldn't market it and, you know, beyond playing well. Uh, and the announcer saying like, oh, and, you know, he does things off the court, uh, you know, how they do when, <laughs> when a player is doing well. They'll just kind of like yeah. add a little tidbit to show that you're like a holistic student athlete. Um, now, you know, uh, having graduated in, in 2015, um, I've been able to kind of double down on it in that break period between Germany and this year. And uh, it's been really fun to, to see it grow, especially in New York, where we've had a partnerships with Chelsea Pierce. Um, where we've, you know, basically reimagined what student athlete development looks like, which is more context-based skill development instead of like these generic drills that at this point you can get on YouTube. And I think uh, that's been the biggest thing, kind of creating what I wish I had when I was younger, which is access to the process. I had to guess what a Division One athlete would have to do to become one uh, because I didn't know one growing up. Now, you know, we have kids who have access to us all the time, even through our, our digital app, which I should plug in yeah, yeah, towards the end. <laughs> That's amazing. Y'all doing great things. I'm so excited about it. Um, so where do you see, I guess, how did DOSA change with like all of the remote things? I think this is kind of what you were touching on with the app and stuff, yeah. but obviously not being able to have like development camps in person and stuff. How did y'all adapt to that? Yeah. Well, I, you know, th thankfully, I mean, I hate to say that we, to some extent, had saw the future first, but truthfully, because we are it, like our, our program is exclusively uh, instructed by current athletes, division one and professional. So, you know, we have a couple of league players, obviously myself and a European pro and then current D1 athletes in college. But I think uh, the awareness to know that the game takes you many different places and almost like a, a barber, you know, you have your one guy, but if you're not in that same state, then what, it becomes an issue. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's like the, the tough part. I live in the Mecca in New York city, but you know, if I myself didn't know a division one student athlete personally, I can only imagine what the kid in Alabama or, you know, Minnesota is in terms of not having that same type of access. So we begun the, the app process with our, our partner, in uh, Famer Productions out of New York. Uh, sorry, it's an Israel tech-based company, but they're, they're out of New York City. And, you know, our collaboration to kind of create contextual skill-based development um, was born out of the, the desire to create what we wish we had, which was an understanding of what it is that we're doing, which we kind of do intuitively, um, but has no, like, blueprint. And I think my, my academic upbringing also kind of uh, created a much more clarified version of what I would like to see in terms of skill development, which is we don't really ever know where the entry point is. If you see a kid who's super talented, he might be using ball screens already or doing these types of moves. But obviously that's a skill versus his age. So it's like, hey, where do we approach each kid? And what we've attempted to do, or what we've done rather is kind of create like a more systematized rubric, like an academic rubric or analogous to that with skill development where it's like, okay, if this is, you know, the goal or rather if this is like your level of skill, then this is something like that. Here's a box, right? Almost like with math where it's like, okay, before calculus, you got to know pre-calculus and before that it's algebra. Right. And before that right. addition, subtraction. So you have to have building blocks. That's why there's sometimes holes in the, our, our, ourselves in our own games because there, there wasn't like a, a real fundamental foundation. And that's where, Guys like Riley, who we both know, and 
uh, from NYU. Uh, he's been so great in doing that uh, in real time. We're going to get him on the app soon enough, but the app actually allows young student athletes to get direct access to current student athletes. And that's obviously what the NCAA and players are working on right now, how they're able to properly profit off that likeness. Right now we have seniors who are able to do that where you can actually connect with like, a, we have a girl from UConn, senior from Columbia. Um, and it's just been like ridiculous to have like 30 girls just be able to tap in directly to like, hey, what should I be working on? It's like, well, this is what's demanded of me, right? So I can only imagine this is what should be demanded of you. And they get to like systematically approach each skill. So that's just been like the most rewarding thing to see them not have confusion or guess on what they should know, right? We're all handed a textbook in school that we can follow or choose not to follow, but there's no like guessing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really great to hear. And I can only imagine how much those kids appreciate it too. Because I know if I had some kind of guidance and stuff, I would really appreciate that. But that's amazing. Um, Awesome. So let's go, David and Alex, y'all can ask the last two questions. Um, David, you want to jump in? Sure. Um, So I wanted to know a little bit more about your time at uh, Northfield Mount Hermon, because they're kind of one of the premier (laughs) um, prep schools. So what kind of made you choose to go to prep school uh, instead of like straight to college? And can you just kind of elaborate on how that helped you grow as a basketball player? For sure, for sure. So shout out to John Carroll, who's the the mastermind behind uh, anybody going to NMH for, for basketball. Uh, he, he plucked me out of a, a UPenn elite camp, like uh, at the, uh, impressively enough at the peak of my confidence. Cause I was like killing in a couple of sessions and the, the coach was like, yeah, you know, we want you. And he was like, Hey kid, like you want to go to UPenn or you want to go to like, I don't know. He just said some like ACC school. And I think he just knew. He was like, I was like, yep, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> And uh, he just made it very clear that, you know, there was an extra level uh, of competition that I I had to uh, not only meet, but like defeat to kind of realize my my full goals. And while I ended up playing at at Yale, I don't think I would have even had close to the career that I had, you know, and ending with like an, an Ivy chip if it wasn't for that experience, because NMH is like a, you know, if you want to think about how, a laughably inconsistent uh, college campus experiences in terms of a bunch of 20 something year olds all being in a bubble learning at the same time meeting from you know august to to may uh to have like that many talented yet academically minded you know young athletes you know 20 15 to 20 all in the same campus you know for x months out of the year competing every day like it's just like very surreal and then have that many coaches coming to every single like, you know, session. It's just, it's uh yeah. I mean, you know, iron sharpens iron. I would not be the player I am without that experience. Cause it was not only humbling, but it was just like ex- exposing, uh, which was so great for me. Cause you know, I think I definitely had a lot, I was full of myself, but I needed to be, I needed to be like competed against, you know, challenged. So it's all good all good things about NMH. Thank you. Of course. Awesome. Um, Alex, do you want to jump in with the last one? Hi, thank you so much for being here. Sending you some love from New York. I'm up in the Bronx right now. (laughs) Oh, you're Um, in BX? Okay, what up? (laughs) 
So um, I'm here in New York. I'm currently interning for a youth soccer organization here in the city. We just kind of got back to doing trainings in person, obviously socially distanced. Um, I wanted to ask what kind of advice you had for like young athletes who have gone through such a long period of like not being able to like actually train in person, having to train via Zoom and now getting back out there, but it's obviously not the same. Just any advice you can give them, some encouragement? Of course, yeah. Um, I try not to be generic and like, I guess the context behind it is what they haven't played each other in quite some time. So ha have you already seen them or is this like gonna be your first go at it since the break? They just started training this week. They just started training and what's like the, what's the, what's the morale like? A lot of them have been coming out. Like we've, um, luckily we have like a whole rooftop. We're over at a uh, pier 40, like not too far from yeah. Chelsea piers. Yeah, so yeah, like we have a whole rooftop to ourselves. So obviously we can get a lot of kids out there and a lot of kids want to come out there. It's just, it's been different because like they want to like play their scrimmages. They want to have like their games, but they can't actually do that. It's just like strictly training with the ball mm, and everything yeah. like that. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. And that, in that sense, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I guess, you know, for you, obviously the goal is to always have them as excited as possible about, you know, any part of the game that can be experienced. Um, you know, I think if anything, it reminds us all how much a privilege it is to just hoop or, or play football, you know, be on the pitch. Um, so, you know, any way that you can kind of like let them know, like, yo, you didn't have this a week ago. You didn't have this a month ago as someone who like at one point in my career wasn't able to like walk, I know what that experience of like not having it is. And I think when you're young, you're just like, it's always going to be here. So super hard to kind of like conjure up those types of deep feelings. But uh, for sure, I would just definitely like remind them like, yo, how crazy was it? Like, you know, even if jokingly, just like how crazy was it that you couldn't do this? Like you couldn't strike a ball more than the length of your living room. If that, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and then beyond that, my, my biggest thing right now uh, from the app, uh, as well as like we do film sessions uh, a lot. Uh, so it's a lot of different versions of remote learning. The one thing that I'm like weary of uh, that players might lose or may have gone even worse uh, when during this break is confidence and like sense of self-assurance. Uh, just because, you know, once again, talking about putting product over process a lot of what we're taught, especially in like Western culture is like, yeah, yeah. Like how hard you work determines how confident you are. Yeah. Like, you know, like if your confidence is completely dependent on how hard you work, that's a bit fickle because like, say God forbid you got sick for a week and then you play in a match. It's like, well, I know I didn't practice last week and that guy definitely did. So I deserve to lose, you know? So like, I think there's a sense of like trying to create some type of belief system in these kids uh, as early as humanly possible so that they start, you know, realizing that their sense of self is completely based on them. Like even what you share about them being like really good, or maybe if a coach ever gives them like the cold shoulder or they don't play, like it's completely dependent on themselves. And I think that has far less to do with how they perform on the pitch. Cause obviously the results are the things that usually determine a kid's confidence, which is a shame, but that's life. So the more you can kind of like invoke that throughout your trainings and your scrimmages just like all around it's like hey how'd you do in your last one how'd you do in the next one like it's like yeah it doesn't matter how do you feel about your own game right and if you see them continue to rely on 
the outcome or your voice, try and steer it more into like a, a little self-awareness, which I, which is what I think we desperately lack, especially in student athlete development. We're always looking for the validation, you know, grading. So yeah, long story short, I think that's like the big thing I would push for every person who's responsible for young kids at this moment. Thank you so much. That's great. Of course. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Great. Well, Armani, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you for sharing your story and giving us advice and stuff. This has been so much fun. Of course, of course. Glad I, glad I could uh, can make it work. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Yeah, yeah it was really nice. Stay tuned for more episodes on Adventures with Aggie coming next week.